0: Episode fifty, Cold Oatmeal Podcast. You think we'd make it? It's a big deal. It is.
1: It's a big milestone.
2: Are we going to do something? I mean, it, we should have probably thought about it. So I think maybe for hundred we do something. Yeah, some sort of. Well, you're in so charge. Seventy-five. You, I'm not a party planner, though. That's or oh, you mean I'll a party or some, some sort of? I don't know. Maybe like a key to the city from the mayor. Can we like work on that between? I think between nine, now and, a, nine, nine 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 hundred. and a hundred,
0: we should be able to nail that down.
1: Samantha Harkins, we're talking to you.
0: That's right. We did Celebrate 50 by getting on Spotify. Oh, that's a big deal. So we on Spotify. So if you're look a Spotify listener, look for us. And we were so impactful that the day we did this, the day we sat down with our guest, Graham Couch, Lansing State Journal, two hours after we hit stop on the record button talking about Lansing sports, Coach D'Antonio announced his retirement. So,
1: so the big question, did Graham know?
0: Did he? You'll have to listen and find out. I think he did. You think he did? I
1: think he did. Yeah, right.
2: We'll I don't out. know. That'd be. I think I'd, I'd be impressed if he didn't.
1: The only thing I would say is, well, no, I don't want to ruin anything, but basically, sometimes things are pre-written. So he may have had his Coach D'Antonio column, you know, retiring column written for who knows how long.
0: Well, maybe we'll find out. Listen to episode fifty. It's the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. <laughs> Have you prepared what you're gonna say for the the intro? Since you're part of the intro now,
1: well, we're doing an oh. intro.
0: Yes, we have to do an intro. Your Are feet. you prepared? Why? God no, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> no, aww. Season three, you gotta be in it.
2: That's probably what it was. So you already did it. It's already done. Intro <laughs> 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 over. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs.
3: Really.
4: I was distracted staring at Joe's Cold
0: Oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here It's, got it of, it's, it's, it's always here. It's always here.
4: And by the way, the, the the ratio of like fruit to disgusting is like 1 to 10. It's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. Yeah, it's There's nothing disgusting. One part well, what's, fruit.
2: What, what in there is
4: disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash and... Maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did
2: you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... Save it, <laughs> <eyes. laughs>
0: Welcome back. Uh, this is the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. And I am Matt Resch, uh, owner of Resch Strategies. Uh, this podcast is put on by the team here. We are a public affairs and a public relations firm headquartered in the NAPS building, downtown Lansing, Michigan. Uh, we're talking sports today, so let's go around. Team... Announce yourselves.
3: Nikki O'Mara. Laura Beale. Stephanie Vancouvering.
0: Nick Lewis here. Joe Beschey. So you can find all of our podcasts at our website. It's reshstrategies.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Resh Strategies. Uh, this podcast, as, as the faithful listeners know, has its own Twitter handle uh, at Cold Oatmeal Pod. I checked this morning. It's been it's been resting. It has. There's not been much activity. No polls. So no polls for Nikki to report. Mm-mm. But that will allow us to get. Actually, we do. We're coming. We're coming to you the, a couple days after uh, the Iowa caucuses. Um, you think we'll know by the time this comes on Thursday who won Iowa? Or are we just focusing on?
4: We we might have a line from the Iowa Democratic Party. I don't know if it'll be who actually won. Uh. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I have watched them hoard boxes of ballots with broken i'm not a seals conspiracy theorist <laughs> but i'm a, in, in the, the basement <laughs> of hall on election night and so um, yeah well, we'll, just, well we just should fl- make this
3: interesting yeah we'll
0: yeah. just, we'll put just put flip a coin on. we'll flip a coin and see, and see who we're. <laughs> they've done a lot of that already right <laughs> so, so yeah so i, I mentioned uh we we're going to talk about sports this is a couple of days after the super bowl um, but we are joined by Graham Couch, uh, sports columnist for the Lansing State Journal. Uh, Graham has been covering uh, MSU sports for the Journal uh, since 2012. Uh, he's from Lansing, Lansing native. Uh, before that, had covered uh, sports uh, at, for Western Michigan University. You can follow him on Twitter at Graham underscore couch. And you have a podcast too, at Couch in the Rube. Is that, is that the show that's on daily, or is that a separate that, Yeah, thing? that is the that daily is, show. That is yep. a daily yep. show. So, yep. at Couch and the Rube is on daily from 1 to 3. So, thanks so much for being here.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. This is quite a group.
0: We like to bring nice. yeah the whole team, bring the whole team. So, um, wanted to...
5: <laughs> I'm intimidated. I feel like you guys ought to have, Thank like, you. a really intense interrogation light or something it like is this. a
3: very intense light we should maybe get some mood lighting in here <laughs> Yeah, a
0: little, a little on the fluorescent side so i want to ask so you're from obviously from lansing yeah. a spartan fan from the, the from a little
5: kid yeah it was a kid i wasn't a michigan state fan yeah. you, you can't really do this job if you have any of that in you well that's
0: but. what i'm going to get to how do you become because I, I i'm going to reflect some of my my personal story here throughout this interview because i am a hoosier and I'm a diehard Indiana
5: basketball fan. One <laughs> of the best college towns in the Big Ten, though. One of the best stops. Bloomington is incredible. So Laura, I, you did
1: not back me up, and I was very disappointed in you. <laughs> I, I was waiting for the rest of the story. But
0: <laughs> So I, I have been following for a long time the guys who cover Indiana, uh, both on blogs and for the Indianapolis Star. So I've been very curious how this works. But I could never write for – I could never cover the Indiana basketball team as a journalist because they would kick me out of – any kind of you know sports or the the press row I'd be banished because I'd be breaking things. How do you balance the fandom of being a sports fan and a Spartan fan with covering it as a journalist?
5: I don't think you can. Um, and it, I couldn't do this job if I was a Michigan State fan still. And the way I mean, if if I did this at 15 years old, it would be trouble because the, the emotions of you know Sean Respert losing in the NCAA tournament or whatever that is would would take would take hold. Um, but what, what basically happens, and I think for anybody who comes back to their hometown, or there are a lot of guys on the beat, a lot of folks who went to Michigan State—I did not—but don't have that fan. You, you're, you just a—you see too much, you're around too much, you get to know people at a different level, and the, the job kicks it out of you. And you, you uh, a couple things. One, I would say the last time I remember. Like openly being emotionally invested in anything Michigan state was uh maybe 2004 um it was Damon Dowdell through an interception against Rutgers in a football game and I was ticked off and I was living in Freeport Illinois and I was but what, you start covering other things that just are more important in your life and take up your time I I missed most Michigan state football games for seven or eight years and all of a sudden it's just not part of your Daily routine, and and you also know that that's just not what you can't have that be part of your life and do this and do this gig. Do you that mix? sounds
2: super sad to me. It like is. you were a fan and now you can't be because like that's why I would never want to cover anything that I like because it becomes a job and then I don't know that's that's really depressing. It is. And I've <laughs>
5: I've got colleagues who have left the business and then want to see if it comes back in certain places. um It is depressing. I've got a, a buddy who went to Indiana, for mm-hmm. example, and he was an Indiana fan for a while. He has almost no fandom to any sports other than a little bit of Premier League soccer. And I find that depressing, too. He doesn't mm-hmm. care. He doesn't know what happened in the Bears games. Lives in Chicago. You know, a little bit of Cubs still. But that's, it, it is sort of what happens. You are around it too much. You're, um, it becomes a re- it becomes a job. And uh, you lose the... And you start to root for yourself. That's the other thing that happens. You, you wind up in circumstances where all you care about is you and the deadline or the column you're writing. I'll give you a great example is uh, that... The, the Ohio State game, they won in the Big Ten Championship to reach the Rose Bowl in 2013. And our deadlines were a little different back then. I've got two columns going, an if-win and if-lose. And about midway through the third quarter, I realized my if-they-lose column is just worlds better than my if-they-win column. <laughs> At this point, all I want is Ohio State to win. I'm not thinking about the Rose Bowl, I'm not thinking of all the great stories that come, I'm thinking about myself. That night, what I need is an Ohio State victory, so this column runs and not this one. And that starts to become the thing. That you're thinking about yourself in those moments or what story is best, what you know, and, and that sort of stuff. And you're not rooting against people. You don't want to see people do poorly or mm-hmm. anything like that. But it your 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 interests become your own self interest.
0: You mentioned getting in and getting very close to it. I think one thing that's unique about covering sports, I would I would imagine different than politics. I mean we get into you know, we work in a lot of the political realm. The closer you get to candidates a lot of times you find them unappealing people um no. but there are some there are some really compelling stories and some and you, you wrote just the other day about uh cassius winston and his relationship with with tom izzo as you get to know those people better um do you become fans of them personally because you are becoming you know a part of their life and there's yours as you cover them
5: yeah, sometimes and sometimes not. There is also some really unappealing people in, in sports, and <laughs> and you discover that. And who's a jerk? Who's nice? Like Cassius Winston, to me, it's one of the nicer guys I've covered. I always say he has the kindest eyes of everybody anybody I've ever covered. He kind of, and sometimes if you're in kind of a, a scrum talking to him, and there's a lot of TV reporters. Not that all TV reporters ask dumb questions, but they're different questions, <laughs> right? And and you can sometimes <laughs> tell when players are just tired of being asked how they feel about something uh, or. It, and Cassius will just sort of look up at you in desperation for something else, and he's got these eyes, and you're like, oh, okay, I'll do it. here you go. Um, but so, yeah, you do learn to like certain people more than others and uh, go to certain people for you know interviews. And, and, um, and then you learn, you know, I mean, uh, Tom Izzo is a great example, right? Tom Izzo is somebody who was the basketball coach at Michigan State when I was a 15-year-old. And so the first time... He calls you and gets after you with a lot of curse words on the phone over something you <laughs> wrote. That takes you a second. You are like, what "The hell is going on here?" You know. And but you learn to stick up for yourself. You le- you get to know him in other ways, and and you know that he's a complicated figure. And, and there are things you admire about him, and there are things you don't. And that's just what it is. But it, you certainly see him very differently than you did when you were just on the outside. Is
1: I guess that answers one of my main questions. Like. Yeah. How do you sometimes write critically, because that's your job, Mm -hmm. when you know you're going to see that person and and they're going to have read what you wrote?
5: You better be fair, which I think is important. So it's one thing that keeps you in check. It's one thing that I think is the hardest part about being like a local columnist. Is that if you're doing things on a national level, you can swoop in, take a shot at somebody, back off. You never see. Them. I've got to show up the next day. I've got to see them face to face. So you, you you better be able to stand up for what you you think. But it also, even in the day and age where being a little more snarky, or taking one more shot, can mean more page views or whatever, it also forces you to check yourself: Is this really what I want to say right now? And it forces you to wait to say something. You know, you can have a fan base on Twitter that wants you to call for Mark Dantonio to do this weeks. But you, you can't do it until you are ready with your reasons to say why you think something should happen. So it does put a, put a check on you because you're going to have to face them. and um, it, it happens more with... Izzo and D'Antoni are so different, for example. I mean, Izzo, you always know where you stand. There are certain types of pieces I'll write, and it's like clockwork. I'll get a call from him. He's not happy. He lets you know about it in his own way. But he doesn't hold grudges. Or if he does, he's good the next day. He's got to let. it What is out, the point
2: know? of that phone call?
5: He wants to get his side out. Okay. You know? he well, wants to stop calling things. me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Antonio, on the other hand, is completely the other way. He just lets it simmer. You just know, you know, you know, he's upset, but he just does. I'd much rather have a better relationship and communicate with him more often than than it is with. Do you
0: ever reach out to one of them after you write something and maybe you don't hear anything and you go, "Hey, <laughs> coach," I'll, I'll, I'll give him a
5: heads up sometimes if something's tough and and they wouldn't naturally know it's like if it comes after a game you ought to know based on the circumstances of that game or whatever that things are going to be written and you don't need to give people a heads up but if yeah it's just sort of out of the blue uh, but no I don't I mean if I try not to I mean some people get very close to Izzo who have covered him for a long time I've tried to I mean we we, we get along well enough I can get a hold of him whenever I need him but I try to keep that that, that buffer from him and not have him need to be a I try not to need him for things in fact when I go to people for quotes I prefer his assistants Dane Fife, Twain Stevens, Mike Garland they're all, all pretty good quotes in there uh, those relationships I sometimes enjoy because they can give it differently in are they're, they're not the same lines I mean you know if I hear Tom Izzo misuse the term you know the white elephant in the room one more time. I'm going to go, hey. somebody just explain to him the difference between the elephant in the room and a Christmas tree, <laughs> And it, it's just not happening. Nobody's ever gotten to him and explained That's it. That's amazing. <laughs> so funny. Uh,
0: by the way, Dane Fife is my favorite Spartan. Yeah. Well, Hoosier. Yeah. <laughs> I always remember that because, um, and I can't remember the name of the, the reporter. He was, he was older and he's retired and if not passed away by this point, but they always talk about the reporter in Bloomington who was like a, as close to Bobby Knight as anybody. And that they, t- you know, his his confidant was a reporter for the for the Bloomington Times Herald, and and that was that, that was like the relationship. Those two were were those those
5: are different times. Yeah, and and it can work for you if you report. I, I mean, I, I'm not. That's not. It depends where you are. When I covered Western Michigan for the Kalamazoo Gazette, that was different, right? There weren't as many writers on the beat, and. Those coaches, you became much close, and that made it hard. I was younger too, and when you had to be critical, I wasn't a columnist, but it was more of a hybrid role. And you know that that was a. There were times that you really felt a little icky about how close they would get. Um, and the problem with being really close is when it matters, you better deliver. And a great example is there's a, it was a reporter in town here who is very close and still is to Izzo. It used to be at the State Journal who when he nearly left for the Atlanta Hawks, and, and the State Journal was always a little bit queasy about how close he was, Izzo stood him up. Somebody else got it first. And that was sort of the beginning of the end for him because they were like, this is when that relationship has to pay off for you. And if it doesn't, what's the point of you being so cozy with Tom Izzo?
4: What's your relationship like with Spartan fans? I, I imagine if you're chasing clicks, I, I, that's a crass description of what you're doing i I apologize you're you're writing stories and you want people to read them you want them to click the story um interaction more than ever on twitter on social media you know self-promotion you're doing your podcast you're doing this podcast it's got to be a big part of it but i imagine if you're getting calls from tom izzo yelling at you you're probably hearing some some things from fans as well
5: yeah i mean you get both especially living here because you will get people who say what the hell, man? You're 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 one of us. Like you're too hard on these guys. And sometimes you write the same column and, and somebody will call you a homer and somebody says you're way too negative. And that's really knowing you know you're doing right. well, right? When nobody's happy and one side thinks you're too hard. And but yeah, that it, it I try to be as uh, accessible and I mean that the social media age I, I post things in fan Facebook groups and I interact with them there. I'll do that, you know, I'll um you know, definitely on Twitter. Uh, we you know a lot of our our daily podcast is interaction through Twitter questions and hot takes from fans and we read them and we discuss them and we, we, we and um, that that that's a big part of it and you you also have to have the pulse of them and understand what people want and not let one person dictate it either, but understand where people's heads are and you get that you kind of understand who's reasonable out there and who's not who's the fly off the handle reactor. Who always thinks D'Antonio should be fired after every, every run call, you know, or whatever, and then you understand, wait a sec, that's a, a, an email from somebody who, you know, really didn't want to write it, and, and you start to see where people are. And so yeah, you want to have your, 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 your thumb on that, and, and that's where I think growing up here and once sort of being a fan does help me, because I sort of trust the senses of that with, with, um, with them. And, and the other thing that's changed for us is we've gone much more to the subscription model than the page view model, which I think is healthier. I would describe it, um, it's sort of like if if you're chasing page views, it becomes like being a heroin addict and you're celebrating it. I mean, it really is, like you, like I have a Chartbeat app on my phone, I can see how many people are in my story at any given moment, right then, right there. I can see daily, I can see how long they were in a story, when they're ducking out, and that becomes obsessive, it becomes unhealthy, and the, the subscription model uh is i think more financially viable you still need people reading it but it's also when people you see how many people subscribe to a given story or whatever and i think that's just a you're getting people where they just can't stand not to read you it's not just one story you're not just getting the outside it you're getting people who think boy this is worth paying for and i think that's a um sort of a healthier threshold
4: I want to go back to the subscription conversation, but for you, you mentioned the pulse of the fans, and that um, raised a question in my mind. Have you noticed a change in the pulse in the last couple of years for Spartan fans in particular, since the other things that were going on at the university?
5: Yeah, it, that's been an interesting dynamic. I mean, there's you know, it's not been a good time, and yet, and I've done some things well, and other things I wish I could do differently or do again. I mean, it's been a learning experience for me. There's been times I've been hard on the university, A couple times I thought I was a little, I don't wanna say unfair, but the, there have been a couple columns where I thought I was a little quick on something, A couple times I was a little slow. I've been defensive of the overall community when I have seen people from the outside, that well, Michigan State could cure cancer tomorrow and there are people on the outside that would say you didn't do it fast enough. There are certain, there are certain mm-hmm. factions that there's just nothing you can do and so realizing that that's not real life, that's certain people, you, you can't just jump on all that stuff. Um, it's interesting because it a, it's, a a, it's a bit of a wounded community in s- certain ways. Um, there's a lot less trust. But then there's also, it's almost like a, in a, a sibling relationship where you can, you can make fun of your sibling and you can pick on, you can hold them accountable. But if certain voices come from the outside and go after them, you see people become really defensive. And, uh, and so it's, it's important to understand what's what and what's, you know, I mean, Michigan State screwed so much up. I mean, they really did. I mean, they've just, it's, it's really remarkable from a public relations standpoint how they've botched things and, the, you know, the hiring of the president and the, what the board of trustees has done and all that. I mean, it's been, it's been crazy to watch. Um, but you're right, the, the fan base is, and the community is sort of, I think, concerned. But if you come after them and you don't have the juice to come after them, They'll get defensive because there are, you know, there are frank numbers that there are a lot of things that haven't been put in perspective really well in terms of, you know, people point out every time there's a, a piece on like sexual assault at Michigan State and the percentage and all that stuff of women who say they've been assaulted, you know, nobody shows Duke or Wisconsin or places that have numbers that are higher, and so people are that perspective I think has been been lost and people get defensive when that stuff's thrown out there. Mm
0: talk about <clears throat> talk about when during the height of, I would say the the, the end of the trial, the NASA trial, well, really when it really reached peak level um, during the victim in, impact statements. Um, that was late December, early January. we talked before we turned the mics on here about your former colleague Matt Mancrini, who was covering that from the news and investigation side. the exact same time Tom Izzo and his team are taking the court, and you're covering games. What's it like inside the LSJ newsroom when you've got to cover the sports, and he's covering this this historic uh, trial and these victim impact statements, and then the fans, who probably, there are some who just want to read about the game, and there are some who are like, how can you write about basketball right now?
5: Yeah, well, Matt and I shared a lot of beers together. We were good friends, and, and still are, and, and so we, we talked. I, I knew kind of what was coming, where things were coming, what was important, what the sort of dialogue was happening, and then you had this I mean, the the thing that that made everything really, really interesting was right at the time that the victim impact statements are happening in the trial, you get um, the ESPN article that comes out that sort of uh, navigates uh, Izzo and D'Antonio into this whole narrative. And uh, there was a lot of, I mean, it was, was, I mean, I know people worked there. I know people worked on it. It was a rushed piece. They were trying, it was done for timing. There were things, it would not have run in the LSJ as was. There was some sloppy editing, and that made the whole thing difficult. Because in this day and age, usually, if you hit somebody that hard as ESPN did, it just starts a downward spiral. Izzo and Antonio would have been gone. Other outlets would have jumped on it. Nobody else jumped on it, which was really telling. Now, there was some legwork you had to do, but it wasn't like every other national outlet started piling on. People saw the the issues with the reporting, and then, but you had some valid questions. The problem is when you kind of screw it up when you get one shot, right? It, it it gets so what what you had then is the, the greatest example is at Maryland that um, I must have been a week after everything happened. Hollis resigned. ESPN had started showing up at press conferences and sort of the, the you had a lot of things went wrong. First of all, you had Hollis resign, which I think was a mistake because it left you had Luana Simons out. Hollis is out, so Tom Izzo becomes the de facto spokesperson for your university mm-hmm. on a, a subject he's woefully unqualified to talk about and not that comfortable talking about and you could tell right and so he he really it was
0: i remember thinking at the time well, who are where are the pr folks at msu who are letting d'antonio and izzo talk about
5: this stuff well the problem you had is izzo was trapped it wasn't really his i mean you have a press conference after every game and they did cancel some of the midweek stuff but so after every game that's just part of it is you're part of what it is you're available and um he would start getting questions about that and at maryland was the place I judged it worst and wished I could do it the most over again. I thought, yeah, I'll finally write about basketball today. It's been a little while and other things have been happening. And Tish Thompson from ESPN was there. They brought her in, she's located in D.C. And she sort of, uh, it was was very much an ambush, I thought. I I didn't like the way it was done. She opened the first question of the post-Maryland game press conference with a question about Travis Walton. And it, it hijacked the press conference but more than that she had some facts wrong in the question which then confused izzo who was trying to figure things out which made him look worse in front of people and and that and then she chased him down you know chased him down the hallway and all that and so i the way i wrote about that that day was much more like this is serious this is going to have to be addressed he cannot keep doing this and i wish i'd written that from both sides on like you know this isn't going anywhere but this can't be who we are as the media either. He's the most accessible coach in the country. You want to talk to him, pick up the phone. Everybody's got his cell number. You know, show up in East Lansing, he'll sit with you for four hours in his office. He may not be happy about it, but he'll do it. And so you don't need to when you go out you're just trying to put on a television show here and that's what are you accomplishing? And I wish so there were times that I wish I'd covered it from different different angles. But that was a weird it was a weird season. I mean it cost them that year they lost to Syracuse in the NCAA tournament really early and if you talked to Izzo today that had something to do with it because the way he prepared that year how exhausted that team was mm. how little fun they had and even the days up to the Syracuse game though his usual that he was doing other things dealing with other stuff and they weren't as prepared now I don't think that that team had other flaws but um,
4: well, I remember thinking as a fan that that felt like a merciful end to that yeah. Even though it was a big upset and it shouldn't have happened and they should have beat Syracuse, I remember as, a, as somebody that really roots hard for the Spartans <laughs> um, going, thank God it's over. <laughs> you know, we don't have to hear Izzo at the podium anymore.
5: Yeah, I mean, he, he still to this day regrets that that was what Miles Bridges came back for, that experience, mm-hmm. and that that's what Jaron Jackson's college experience always was that year. And, and the Michigan State's credit, they do it. I mean, they're the only team that I've been around that has an open locker room after every game at the college level. And they didn't ever shut it down, so you wind up with these kids also right. dealing with this, and that's part of what one of the things I do admire about Tom Izzo is that he—that's um, part of the accountability he wants f- for them. It's very open, and kid gets a DUI, he's going to drag him out in front of reporters, and it's a one-day story, and the kid's going to answer for it, and that sort of thing. Um, but in that situation, those—that was a tough—that was a tough spot for those guys.
0: You mentioned the org kids and they are I mean especially when you're just getting there I mean maybe when if you're through the the full four years you're more mature and 22 on your way out the door but how do you when you're interviewing a a kid you know you have expectations when you sit down to do an interview that you're going to get an expert in something or someone who is seasoned and whatnot but these are folks who you know have probably not done a ton of media interviews or not maybe not you know, practice and speaking or, and you have to think about, you know, these are just high school kids. Or these are just teenagers. And is this fair to have this level of, you know, you need to be on and eloquent and profound and need to answer the question quickly and say all the right things. It seems like a, an unfair thing to do to kids.
5: It is. And I think that's one of the advantages to, I mean, when you cover them daily, you get to know which kids can handle it and which can't Cassius Winston has been really good on a number of, I mean, he's a bright kid. For example, you knew you could go to him. You're not going to go to, and Deontay Davis is no longer with the team, but you're not going to go to him. as a freshman who doesn't struggles to get six good words out. You know, you're just not going to do that to a kid. And if you do, you're you're a jerk for doing it. Um, and that, very, yeah, you learn who, which kids can you know, can kind of hold court, so to speak, and handle all sorts of issues, and um, can think things through, and and who that's really fair to, and um, that, it, that's that's different for for everybody. Do you listen
0: to the Dan Lebatard show ever? Yeah, so I always
5: love how they
0: mock sports interviews because they all everyone says the exact same thing. It's just a string of cliches. And how when you wanted to get an answer to a question and you get ten bad sports cliches in a row strung together, what do you shake? Do you just have to write it down. or that's walk away. That's what I'm getting I, I, today.
5: That's the beauty of being a columnist. is I don't need it, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't go places. I don't and I don't need. I don't do a lot of pack interviews. What you hear there when people are just, you know, I mean, sometimes I've got to overhear them. I've got to know what's being said, but I'll wait it out to talk to somebody individually, or I'll be on the other side of the room, and you get much better stuff just in a conversation. And that's those are, I mean, that those are relationships you have to develop. You have to, people have to know you're not out to get them, just in everything you. I mean that you can be comfortable talking with them, and but I generally I I, I skip people who don't give me interesting things because I just. don't, I'm not, yeah, it just doesn't serve Any me. given
4: Sunday, you could get a really <laughs> yeah. great quote, though. Right. Mm.
1: Yeah. I'm curious um, how this year has been covering Cassius Winston with everything he's going through. Do you have to kind of like, you know, take things with a grain of salt and, you know, maybe ask questions differently, or do you just?
5: It's been, that's been hard because, um, you yeah, I mean, somebody you get to know one way and then you sort of know, they're dealing with a lot and pain, and you want it to be. Sometimes you don't want everything to be about that. Right. So for a while it was, and or even when you you talked to him, it looked like you had pity in your eyes, and you don't want that either. And he can read that, you know. And it, I think Sean Windsor for the Detroit Free Press wrote a really good piece about dealing with that. But Sean and I've talked to him about going in there because that came together quickly and sort of unintentionally. Uh, not unintended. I mean, but he was not trying to do that story at that time. And that's sort of what can happen with Izzo. He went in to talk to Izzo about doing a story on how much harder it was for Izzo to coach these guys. And Izzo just grabbed Cash from down the hallway, and that's how that sometimes comes together with him. And the, um, yeah, with Cash, it's been, there are times that you just forget about it, because I think that's what, He's looking for and you just you can go into a mode where you've been in a post game with him a million times You keep it to that, but you do understand he's going through different things And you try to relate to that and you try to write from that perspective too and there are things you try to understand and You sometimes don't understand in the moment that you later understand that changes the way you think of a season the Duke game For example, they played horribly Well as it was revealed in that Windsor piece, and we didn't none of us knew it at the time I mean he was really out of sorts that day because mm-hmm. he found out his mother didn't come and she'd been at everything. And you would watch him just look in the stands at her, look at the stands at her. And then she didn't come because she couldn't take another day in that crowd and sort of the sympathy and all the stuff. And that was all that was on his mind at the yeah. beginning of that Duke game, all that was happening. Now, I'm not saying they would have beat Duke, but if your best player's head is totally not in it, that changes the game and you sort of... And so there there were moments like that. But yeah, I don't think any of us really knew how to... Even those of us who'd covered him for a while how to approach him on a given day, what to say here and there. You're not necessarily friends with him, but you're somebody who, you're friendly, you're somebody who you've got some sort of working relationship with, you like him, you tr- you know, you've know, you learned to trust each other, so something needs to be said. And I, I think that's that was a really hard thing um, for, for a lot of us.
0: What's the camaraderie like amongst your colleagues who have this job in Bloomington or West Lafayette or Columbus?
5: So, in, between us, or if oh, if you okay. got it all here, I mean all the people like? It, I mean, if it, 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 you, you
0: guys hang out on the road, you guys yeah. talk. I mean, I I see a lot of you. You do each other's podcasts. You right. talk about games. Obviously, you're the, the expert on your team and, and doing that kind of stuff. But
5: it varies on the beat. Yeah, uh, like within the beat, we're pretty close. It's a really. I mean, that makes it a lot more enjoyable. I don't know how much fun it would be if it wasn't you know beers on the road. If it wasn't you know, and we've had different. Factions throughout time is we've lost people and gained people, but it's always been pretty pretty good some places it's real contentious um and so even though we compete we're we're, we're friends uh and within there are lots of people around. Zach Osterman from indie star is a guy I talked to you know fair will get a beer on the road there are other uh uh Dustin dopriak covers butler purdue and in, uh, Indiana down there there so there are yeah we're I mean, different places you have different people you know at different levels and um yeah you know, we certainly all do each other's stuff q and a's podcasts whatever and then when you're in their hometown sometimes it, it varies the level of the but the, most of the time it's a, a pretty friendly
0: those guys make me feel so old because I don't know either one of them, but I've started reading them when they were in college, yeah. and now they're they have you know the premier the premier gigs for covering their team, and I feel like I'm 100 because I'm like yeah I remember when you were just when you were writing for the Indiana Daily Student, and now you're doing this. So, well, they're not that
5: much, they're
0: not that much. Well, I don't, maybe maybe, but how old are they?
5: They must be early 30s.
0: Okay, well, that's a lot.
5: <laughs> 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 At least.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good for that, though. What about, and this is, I'm going to totally hijack this for an Indiana question. It, very, do you have a favorite Terry Hutchins story? So Terry Hutchins was long time. Yeah, actually, Zach took over for him covering Indiana for the Indianapolis Star. He had covered, and he was, his blog for the Indiana Star, in, uh, Indianapolis Star was the first sports blog I ever started to read. And it was back when blo- this was barely like New stuff, I, yeah. it would be like every f- sixth day he would write something and like now a, now a blog has to be constant but that was the way he did it and so he he passed away was it last last, last year?
5: year yeah in a, in a car accident Uh yeah, there was a medical yeah. deal that led to yeah it yeah, a, yeah yeah no I um I knew Terry a little bit not real well the um one of the guys that was previously at the Lansing State Journal only for a little bit who left to cover the Pittsburgh Penguins and. Uh, he worked with Terry directly at the organization Terry left the Indianapolis Star for. He, he covered Purdue, Terry covered Indiana, so he knew him a little bit better And because um, Terry was of a slightly different generation. So it usually the hanging out on the road stuff is much more generational. Uh, but Terry was an old school. He was a character, you know. Um, and um, But I, I don't know. I didn't know him like beers on the road, Terry, like I do a lot of the younger guys now or the guys in there their mid 40s or whatnot
0: so if you were as your career right if your career ended like right now and you think back to the the years you've covered the spartans is there a moment that if you had to write your farewell column of the 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 memory you'll take with you from covering the michigan state athletic department what would it be
5: that's a good question I, i would um i would lean on a few games the, the, the moments you stand out like or in athletic competition that write, I was writing about is the, uh, the ones where you, like you're, you can feel the hairs raise. And that doesn't happen very often. That takes real moments where something, the end of the Duke game was one of them last year, mm-hmm. and the way that transpired, and the moment uh, where I was sitting when Cassius Winston's running with the ball when he kind of escapes them trying to foul him, and you see on his face when he realizes they're going to win that game. And I don't think they totally believed it until you know, it was like and that that was interesting. that was like it was interesting to see that. The the game in two thousand fifteen, that team that made that run to the final four nobody expected. That the end of that Elite Eight game against Louisville, the I don't think I've ever been that close to that sort of intensity. And that so much on the line for both teams winding up. I mean you could just Feel the pressure and the intent. You could feel it throughout your body. It was it was a really uh, it was it was fun. It was exhilarating to be that close to what was happening. So there are moments like that that just that stand out. Um, I don't know. I mean, the football program is a much more sordid deal because a lot's happened, and you know the, the Rose Bowl rise isn't isn't clean anymore. It wasn't just some you know. There's been a lot that's gone on there, on and off the field. And I think D'Antonio's legacy is a little different than it would have been a couple years ago. So I don't know what that would be. I would have to. um, And and it's such when you and I've covered him now about eight years, seven and a half years, and that there's just so many different things that go on. I don't know if there's one moment that defines it. It's 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 a it's quite a complicated. because there's been a lot of real highs. And I'm, I consider myself fortunate to cover a program in both sports that's relevant mm-hmm. all the time, usually in both sports. Uh, and that gives you a bigger platform, a bigger stage, allows you to write things people care about. Um, and then But has also had some just incredible lows uh, as a department and even as a football program in the last few years. Okay. Well, I don't want to leave it on a... On a dour note, but... do you-
1: I do have one more thing okay. that I wanted to ask. So one of your columns that stood out to me over the... I think it was early sometime last year was your column that you wrote about uh, Antonio Smith.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: T- tell me about writing that kind of column because it's, it's kind of like, you know, we Spartan fans are like in it and we know our people while they're here and then they go off to, you would hope, greener pastures and we don't usually hear about them again. But here you just... You know, brought someone who was a huge Spartan, kind of just shined a light on on what their life had become, and it was nothing like anybody would have thought.
5: It wasn't anything like I thought either. He ruined actually a really good summer series of Q and As with that because I initially called him to do a Q and A. I was just going to do this sort of once a week catching up with somebody, and I thought there's somebody that people would love to catch up with, and we're just chatting, and I have no idea. And then he just starts telling me some really dark things. And I'm like, well, this doesn't work as a Q&A anymore. You can't just throw that <laughs> in the middle of a, and OK. okay. How, and, then, and then it's about how comfortable is he talking about this stuff? And because I've tried to get a hold of him before without much success. We tried last spring. We were just trying to do something 20 years after the 99 team. Couldn't get him. Uh, turned out he was sleeping in an abandoned house and probably didn't have his phone on. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But, um, and he sh- seemed really open to it. So you sort of just pounce on that opening. Like, okay, if he's open, let's not I don't want him to rethink this. But he was, that's that was not a question. You know, I went down to Flint, he took me to the abandoned house. We, we you know, we went out to eat, we you know, we um he took me to all his old spots. We just spent, you know, probably seven, eight hours together, and he answered everything. Um and it was weird because I think he was trying to in some ways uh, hold himself accountable he was in a little bit better spot he had gotten a job and he thought if I put this out there it prevents me from embarrassing myself again um, but it was um, I'm, I think one of my strengths uh, is the ability to sort of empathize with people and, and not that I've been in that ex- exact situation but you sort of I mean I really tried to when, when he was showing me you could really feel it and you could feel it in his voice he, you know, he had this verbal pause it was like mm-hmm and he would just after he said something and you could see him taking himself back to places and so you had to try and capture that too and then there's the you know you, you do finish that and you're like I have incredible material now I need to write this um and you got to verify a few things talk to some people um but that was yeah i think we should do more of those pieces because there are a million of them out there i think not doing them is is kind of lazy because it does sometimes just take a Q and A phone call and that's what those things are good for. It's why you want to reach out to every high school athletic director and what kind of stories do you have. What do you sometimes you'll get, yeah, we got, you know, three sisters on the same team. Well, that's not what we're looking for, but but sometimes you do get, yeah, this this kid has one arm and he does this, you know, and that uh, and you wind up with this cool story about somebody. Not that amputee stories are all we're looking for, but they do they do, do well. <laughs>
0: Got hand it to Laura, who who brings the mood up. I was like, I'll ask you a, another question here, um, Graham. I have one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Stephanie has a question.
3: Yeah, are you living your dream? Is this what you always wanted to do?
5: This was a bucket list job for me. Okay. Um, I, I grew up reading the Lansing State Journal. Grew up living here. The funny thing is, I turned the job down initially. Hmm. And oh. you grow up someplace. You're not sure you want, you know, all the people at the church you grew up at reading every cranky opinion you have you know (laughs) answering them your second grade teacher being you know i i didn't know if i wanted you know to combine my two worlds so to speak and um so initially i i I turned it down and then rethought about it and, and, and took it kind of kind of for that reason i was real happy in kalamazoo for a while too and but it was yeah it was um i mean i don't know if i'll do it Forever, forever, mm-hmm. but it's um, it's yeah, it definitely is a bucket list job.
4: Church ladies are okay with it.
5: The most of the time, every once in a while, I get you know, what, Grandma, I thought you were a little hard here or whatever <laughs> this is, but yeah, no people, it's it's been good. It's and it's it's it, it was it was fun. The response to my introduction column, which I wrote about that. I mean, not about turning it down, but about the the, the George Costanza and the, the combining of two worlds That's and flat not, not all yeah you know, and um, and. A lot of people didn't know I had come back, and for them to see that, the response to that was was a real highlight, for sure. Well, I, I, for you, what Stephanie meant was this podcast being... No. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah.
0: Yes, I've been waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Graham Couch, thanks so much for taking some time this morning to talk with us. Uh, Graham is the sports columnist for the Lansing State Journal. You can follow him on Twitter, at Graham underscore Couch. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Okay, we're all back from the bathroom. We are <laughs> it's ready not to me, It was yourself. not Laura.
1: It was not I, me. I think
2: it was Laura.
0: We had to time out. <gasps> <up. laughs>
3: I will defend you. It was not Laura.
0: So leave it to Stephanie, who just, the buried lead of these podcasts. You know, The, the, the microphones go off and all the, the good stories come out. <laughs> I had no idea you and Tommy were so close.
3: <laughs> we're not. We're not. But his um, daughter went to high school with my son, Alex. And so at the start of each school year, Lansing Catholic does this whole thing where they bring all the parents in and we're supposed to get to know each other and our kids go off and get a chance to meet and mingle. And so there was this exercise that they do where they put parents in a line and you, you line up and you have maybe a one or two minute, like a speed date kind of conversation. And so I happened to be across the line facing Tom Izzo. And so he, um, he asked, you know, introduced himself. Hi, I'm Tom, and I'm like, hi, I'm Stephanie. And he asked what I did for a living, and I told him I worked in PR and I did some writing and consulting. And then I said, well, so what do you do? And <laughs> and he he looked at me like I was had just landed from Mars. And I said, uh, he said, well, I coach basketball at, at MSU. And I'm like, oh, good for you. And <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the reaction he normally gets. No. No. So we talked for another couple of minutes while he just continually stared at me like I was ridiculous and (laughs) probably was. I just am not that great with faces. (laughs) (laughs) What about names, though? Hadn't you heard that name before? Well, Well, he just said Tom. Tom. Oh, he just said Tom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Yeah. That's funny.
0: So, Steph, you've been away from the microphone here for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And the, the faithful listeners of the Cold Oatmeal Podcast um, have taken to Twitter because they need you to weigh in on something. And I know this is old news. This is not fresh, but it, it may be the evergreen story. We need to know. The world needs to know your opinion on Megan. <laughs>
3: Exit. Okay. Yes, I've been waiting to opine.
0: <laughs> the floor is
4: yours. <laughs> can we Thank can you. we include like some royal music to lead the segment?
3: Like some sort of pomp and circumstance. Yes, after dun, having dun, talked dun, dun, about dun, dun, sports for now, <laughs> the last half hour, I'm ready to talk about okay. the royal family. Let's mix it up. All right, I am. I am. I have mixed feelings about Megxit. I am glad they are gone from the royal family because I think they are too Kardashian-esque for that crowd. Um, but I am very sorry for us that we now have to deal with them on this side of the pond. So I feel that they did a disservice to the Queen and a disservice to their country. But um, by leaving by not by doing it in the way that they did by announcing it and I understand there was a a tabloid that was going to break the story and so they needed to go on Instagram and tell the world before Mm -hmm. they told the queen which I think is kind of dirty pool yeah but the queen shouldn't have to read about that stuff on Instagram you don't think she knew I think that they had had some conversations. She doesn't
4: have like royal spies hidden throughout the kingdom reporting back on what all of her serfs are doing.
3: (laughs) No, I don't think that's the case. I think it was just... um, I think the palace is a large organization filled with a lot of bureaucracy, and I just... At the same time, it is a family. And so I think that the way that it was handled was very poor. And I think it's going to backfire on Harry and Meghan. I think when they get over here, the palace provides an extensive amount of protection through the Royal Rota system that they use with the media. And when that system is gone, as Harry and Meghan made plain that they wanted it to be, then now they've got to deal with everybody, and it's going to be much closer than it would have been had they had a bureaucracy standing between them and the reporters that are... Bothering them, quote unquote.
2: So they're not here yet? Are they're they like here in
4: October or something? They're in Canada.
3: Well they're in Canada, Canada they're, they're in not. Canada. Canada. They're, they're, where
2: are they where are they going? Where is
3: Vancouver, right? They're in Vancouver right now. We okay. don't know yet where they're going to go. they It's like something they're in a stagecoach LA going across the, the country. Like what,
0: where of... are they going? <laughs> well, there's this
3: whole big thing because people talk about: Are they going to buy a place in L.A. because that's been a thing? But yeah, Megan has been quoted as saying she won't live in L.A. as long as Donald Trump is president. So,
0: so it's... does she know he doesn't live in L.A.? <laughs>
3: I'm not sure.
4: <laughs> Vancouver is the L.A. of Canada, isn't it? Isn't that where they do? Our, <laughs> yeah, they do a it ton is. of shooting? Yeah, it yeah. I mean, that's like Hollywood oh. <laughs> It's Hollywood. Of the North. So yeah. it's
2: possible they're in Vancouver for a while. Yeah. Okay. There's, and there what are no they, reporters What there are anyway. they going to do?
3: Right. It's and not why her. is
2: anyone going to talk to them? Like, what is the. What news are they the going to be talk making? Talk
3: to I don't know. Well, there's talk about her going back to her acting career. Um, and Which she consists does of what before she. I don't suits. Don't know. Suits. suits. Some okay. TV drama. It's Who wants to be a millionaire? Not that one. What's the one with the briefcases? Briefcases. That's. It's not but who let's, wants make to a deal. Deal. No. let's make a deal. No. Let's make it... I I don't know. Deal or no deal? Deal or no deal. Deal or no deal.
4: So she, she was a model on that?
3: Yeah. Yeah. She held
0: the brief. That's so that's She, her, that's, she left Royal from
1: that to suits to royalty. She did a couple of how Mark
3: movies. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I missed up. But um yeah, and she does have a voiceover deal with Disney right now that she's doing for charity. Um and so there's and there's some Kerfuffle right now today because she um, allegedly has signed with the same agency as Kim Kardashian to be booked for stuff, and the palace came out yesterday with a denial that that was actually the case. But they said how sens- do they know?
4: I thought they weren't connected anymore.
3: Well, they are supposed to because be-
4: the spies, the royal spies, have extended their reach. Can
0: we get a cameo? Can we get a Megan cameo? Soon.
3: Probably. Yeah, probably, probably soon. soon. If you ever send me a Megan cameo, I will I will not watch it. What is Harry going to do? We will if
0: we spend money for it. Professional content. <laughs>
3: <laughs> What's Harry going to do with his life now? I don't know. Do you do have any thoughts about what he could possibly do? He's had do? to. I feel so bad for that guy because he has been hoodwinked by this woman. Um, <laughs> and he is he's had to give up all of his military. He spent all those years in the military, and he's had to give up all of his is rank it, and Isn't everything. it possible?
0: He has to give that up,
3: too? Yeah. That
4: he loves this woman, and he's doing this because he loves her, and he wants to do this. That's stupid. And, <laughs> and he's happier now than he's ever been. Isn't that possible?
3: It's possible.
4: Do they have any
2: money?
3: Yeah. Yeah, they've got money because Charles is giving them money for the next year until they become, quote-unquote, financially so independent.
2: So they would have no money if it were not for the, right. his dad being nice
3: well and harry's got he's got money from his mother so okay. he has like 10 million dollars from mm-hmm. diana and then megan has her own money from her acting career so she's got a couple of mil in the bank so they're doing okay but they can't afford the estate that they're living right. on they can't afford the lifestyle that they're accustomed to
4: i feel like this is bizarre world where you are upset for the first time ever, and conceivably for the only time ever, about a couple of late 20s successful adults finally moving out of their parents' house. Like, they're they're going off on their own to be self-sufficient, to make their own way in the world, and you're like, those brats, I can't believe it.
3: Well, I think the reason, I'm not upset about them being self-sufficient, I'm actually happy they're out of the royal family. Because Um, you don't like them. Because I don't like them. I think my issue with them has been there are that they don't understand what it is to be royal. Royalty is about duty to the queen and to the country and they have been taking that and twisting it all around and my my issue with them there have been a lot of stories that have compared Meghan to Kate and what ends up happening and I think I think really it's almost a political discussion for a lot of people because Kate is traditional and she's part of the system and she's kind of old school duty um, and more conservative and then you've got Megan who is quote-unquote woke and she's got all of her things and she's lecturing (laughs) on climate change and she's doing all this stuff and she wants to be a celebrity, and she doesn't want to do all of the traditional things that the monarchy demands of her. And so when you end up with her level of hypocrisy through lecturing about climate change and yet taking these private jets, I mean, there there's a, there's a hypocrisy to Meghan that doesn't exist in other pockets of the royal family. And so that's why I think it wasn't a good fit. It was bound to happen. I'm just disappointed that now we have to deal with her more.
2: How are, like, the British people taking this are they like angry like you or are they
3: they're over the moon and they feel sorry for for america that now she's here oh
2: so they're on your side (laughs) yeah okay
3: yeah so
1: you should have taught them a class on like what it means to be a royal and then maybe none of this would have ever happened
4: Love Laura.
1: Love. They did not contact her. Nick, the they did not contact. I
0: can just picture like some like the Best Western in Vancouver with like the domi- <laughs> the Domino's guy knocks on the door and there's Harry getting the getting his two liter and his large pizza sitting there and it's like oh here we go we got we got dinner honey
2: yeah. dude that's so stupid what? he could pizza? he could marry whoever he wants just go get a better he- woman who's just as good looking who will... <laughs> Who will be happy with all the wealth and that's status how, that you have. That's how love works.
4: <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> just, just get another woman just who's pretty. Just get another pretty. one. <laughs> just get another If
2: you're one. him, you can just go get another one. But he wants her. That's stupid. And I'm, I'm saying stupid? that's stupid because he can have his pick, basically. <laughs>
4: yeah. Could, couldn't we all have had our pick? No. I certainly feel like I could have had no. my pick. And I'm happy no. with the pick I made. And I'm sure everyone else in the room who's married, which is everyone but you, but is you happy <laughs> with their pick.
3: But when you made your pick, wasn't there a part of you in making the calculation was like, does she get along with my family? Is there a natural relationship there? I mean, I, I think that, that was that was certainly part of my pick and my husband's pick.
4: I guess I was fortunate I didn't have to make that calculus because she just did naturally.
3: Right. But if she didn't, that would have been a factor for you.
4: No. No. No way. True love. I I dated plenty of girls that didn't get along with my family. (laughs) It never bothered me, but I I don't know.
0: I think what we're getting to here is what we talked about before the podcast started, (laughs) which is that Nick's true pick is Robert. (laughs) 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 Nick confessed to us before it was dreamy. I didn't say dreamy. How did you say it? I didn't say dreamy. He's extraordinarily handsome. Extraordinarily
1: handsome, according to Nick.
3: He is extraordinarily handsome. handsome. And I'm saying that objectively, not as like a. I'm married happily.
2: I, but, I, yeah, and you, you know, I, I agree with you guys. <laughs>
3: he is, ex- he is handsome enough to pull off the no sack look,
1: right? That's where the conversation. That's begins. how it started. Right. Yeah.
4: I'm, I'm not offering That's more input. All we're saying about that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: feel like it's said probably, enough. probably enough said. We have exhausted sports and Royals for one podcast. Yes. Okay. So Graham Couch is our guest. We appreciate him coming up the one floor from the State Journal to visit us on the fourth floor uh, for the podcast. Stephanie, th- thank you for being back and bringing your your royal knowledge mm-hmm. with us. We missed you. Uh, this is Matt Resch. You've been res- listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast from the Resch Strategies team. And we will talk to you next time.